Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm Julianne. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me today, once again, Dr. Julianne McFan. How are you doing, Julianne? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm happy to have you. And uh, Julianne, you are our team lead for programming. This, What we're going to talk about today is right in your wheelhouse. Absolutely. And I've already been forewarned that we don't have three days for this. So. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'll try to keep it concise. Well, and, and we're going to we're gonna uh, talk about the basics of this topic today, and then we can always do a little bit more of a deep dive into some of the techniques that we're talking about. But you can count on it. <laughs> exactly. So what are we talking about? Well, today we're continuing the conversation that we started in a previous episode with Claire, our director, um, based on the principles that are outlined in the book, How Learning Works, which is a, a book, and we'll link to that on our show page today, of course. But this is a book that you use a lot. In I love this book. Yeah. I use it a lot with the, um, I call them the mentoring groups. There are Early Career Professional Development Circle and our Future Professor Professional Development Circle. And I love this book because it really is a nice introduction on how to teach college. If mm -hmm. I were still teaching courses on how to teach college, this would be one of my textbooks. Mm -hmm. It is organized into uh, chapters uh, that have uh, little case studies, or just little yes. narratives at the beginning. And today we're talking about organizing uh, student experiences. The first uh, little narrative at the beginning of that chapter of the book, I, I had to laugh because we probably should print it up uh, print up a t-shirt or something like that. The, uh, in fact, I'm going to pull it out here. The, uh, the title of it was, That Didn't Work Out the Way I Anticipated. Oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> Which sums up my teaching, uh, yes. my, my growth as a teacher, yes. certainly. So, um, and, and that story talks about uh, someone who presented a whole bunch of information over the course of the semester and students were complaining that it was too much memorization and, yes. uh, and didn't, it wasn't, they weren't learning. They were just trying to keep up mm -hmm. um, in that story. So, so talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges, what, what, what are the challenges that this principle and, and this concept is trying to address? I think the main thing we need to remember is that we are the experts on our subject matter. We are the expert learners. We are the professional learners. This is why we do what we do. And we forget that our students don't have that same mm -hmm. level of knowledge and we just assume that they can follow along with us and we make all these cognitive leaps, then we don't understand why they're not following along with us. I kind of think of it as, you know, we're the superheroes leaping from building to building right, and, right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And we look behind us and our students did not make that leap with us. And, and they wily, and they wily coyote down to the pavement, yes, right? Yeah, yes. Exactly. When Claire and I were talking about exploring this book for, for our, our pokey little podcast here, we made the decision very early on that we wanted to do these principles in order. Unlike the last set that we did, the, the seven principles for mm -hmm. good practice in undergraduate education, um, which was more of a, a monograph, as Claire mm -hmm. likes to call it, um, it we kind of jumped around different topics, for, you right. know, wh whatever kind of met our fancy. We put off uh, timely feedback until <laughs> for as long as we could. Until it was no longer timely? <laughs> I, I, yes, yes, until it was no longer timely, exactly. In this case, though, the, the, the chapter preceding this is talking about assessing prior knowledge. Yes. In students. So so this is a natural next step. Once we know what they know, what they don't know, or how they're interpreting what they know. Correct. 
now we can, as you kind of said, kind of temper our, our expertise and, and we understand what we need to go back to the basics on yes. and whatnot. Yes. So, so, the, so it's real easy from here on out. How do you do that? <laughs> you know, you just stand at the front of the room and speak in a monotone voice and they'll <laughs> they'll eat up every word. Uh, no, 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 probably not. Although, although, although we have to recognize that some students kind of may be trained to think yes. that that's how learning is supposed to work. Yes. Um, so one of the challenges we always face as, as instructors on the university level is beyond just delivering the course content and, and helping them to learn is to help them break out of those habits that they oh, may correct. be bringing in. Correct. So part of... Part of helping students learn is to help them expand what it means to learn. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to that novice versus expert learning learners. Uh, we know how to approach information from multiple directions, mm -hmm. whereas our students, they just have that one way of approaching it. And they don't know how to branch off from it, and they don't know how to come in from different ways. Mm -hmm. And then they do the wily e. coyote thing right. while you're leaping from building to building. So, so what are some of the signs that we can pick up on to realize that they're not leaping along with us? That's a great question. Uh, aside from the splat, oh yeah, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this may be our first episode with sound effects. <laughs> I might have to edit that in. Well, this is actually where formative assessment comes into play. Okay. And I'm sure we can link back to the podcast where we talk about formative assessment. Mm -hmm. My other thing that I just love talking about mm -hmm. a lot. Um, if we do uh, low stakes getting feedback from them, and if they're not able to answer correctly or mm -hmm. answer deeply or they play the I'm trying to read the professor's mind or you um, kind of answers or my favorite is if you ask them a question and they all suddenly become interested in tying their shoes and you see a room <laughs> full of the top of their heads um, then you know that they're not following along with you okay okay so what do you do then well you gosh Jim <laughs> I had a whole spiel going well, in well, well, here. And, and, we'll, and that's all right. We'll get to the spiel. We'll get to the spiel. I mean, we're talking about organizing experiences, and you are incredibly well. I'm looking at all your notes here. You're very well organized. That's why I, I, need I to... feel I can play. I can play a little bit as we as we talk about this. We have more than I needed yeah. more than one stand for this today. Right. You asked me what we can do. Well, I think the most important thing is to try to remember what we don't know what we didn't know when we first started out. Oh, uh, okay. And that yeah. is so incredibly hard because once you know it, you don't unknow it. Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of that struggle comes in because we forget what it's like to not know. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like dialing it back quite a bit. Uh, something I notice a lot when I'm working with uh, new professors that are straight out of grad school is and they're teaching like a freshman level survey course they end up teaching it at a graduate level because that's where their mind is at and they have forgotten how to dial it back and there is a um uh 
this concept of rigor is something that's yes. hard hard for us to grapple with sometimes. That we feel good like we point. should make them work harder because rigor is a good thing. But if we're but uh, rigor can also just be making it harder for the sake of being harder if you're not learning. Correct. Yeah. We don't want to frustrate them. We yeah. there's you know having high expectations and then there's the roadblock that there, there's no way they can achieve it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So when we're talking about organizing experiences for students, what we're really doing is we're talking about when we're when we're when we're in the teaching mode, um, making sure that they can get a good handhold on this information and they can embrace it and then they yes. can do what they need to do with it to actually learn from it. Yes. So what are some of the different uh, approaches to that? Well, um, before we talk about approaches, what I you yeah. I, I want to build on what you just said. Uh-huh. So there's this there's this word called encoding. And it sounds, you know, so highfalutin. And basically what it means is taking information and coding it, trying to organize it, mm-hmm. and putting it into long-term memory so that you can retrieve it. Mm-hmm. And so so often we focus on, oh, we want to help them recall the information, get that information, write it down, do a test, whatever. But we don't think about how to help them um, put the f- correct file label on the the information. Yeah. To, to file it away in the right place in the brain. Yeah, right, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know if everybody is as guilty as I am of using the Mac search feature. And so I don't always label my files correctly uh-huh. very well. And so then I spend, f- you know... 40 minutes trying to remember, now, what did I call that what thing? What did I call the file? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's an example of not encoding it correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's what our students do a lot of time. A lot of times they think they are putting the correct label on it, and mm-hmm. they're not. So how can we help them put that correct label on? Mm-hmm. So there's um, a couple things you can do besides just, you know, the teaching tip kind of things. One is be overt model for them how you are thinking about the information as you are showing it to them. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, well, here's a formula and this is, you do this, 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 and this, and here's how you get to the answer. Mm-hmm. Walk through it and say, okay, here is this step. And as I look at this step, I think about here's all the factors that could matter. Here's mm-hmm. all the things. And next step and you know just step by step and thinking out loud so that mm-hmm. your students can see how an expert thinks about it right so right. modeling is one example being right. overt um and then there's other things like do not give your students a complete copy of your lecture notes mm-hmm. do not give them the powerpoint things and, and students will often ask for that oh they beg for it yeah they was just like, I wish my professor gave me that. Right. And so professor caves, but that really impacts your students' ability to learn because uh-huh. they're not engaging fully because, in the information. Because it, at best, they're just going to try to memorize what's on each Correct. given slide. Correct. Right. And they're not doing anything. So right. in other words, you have to do something with the information in order to make it stick. Correct. In you order have to, to learn. Yes. Oh, come on, Jim. Do something in order to learn? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, Concept maps. Do we have time to talk about concept maps? Oh, no, I think we should talk about concept maps because I think that that's a technique that 
um, can be used. I, I think it can be used in more disciplines than it is. In other words, oh, I think yeah. it's something that that breaks all the boundaries. Yes. Yeah. I'm, apparently, I'm becoming known as the concept map queen. Oh, really? Because I keep leading f- workshops on how to use concept maps. Well, but but I think they're an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so concept maps and its sister brother mind maps. Mm-hmm. are a way of visually organizing information and seeing how things are interconnected. So concept maps I'm familiar with, but mind maps, what are those? Mind maps are more of a, um, well, I don't want to say visual thing because concept map is visual also. Sure. But instead of using words, you use images oh okay and it's less um geometric Mm -hmm. um and looks more like neurons going around and you got tree trunks and um i think it's wonderful for people who like my husband who are very picture oriented Mm -hmm. he's an artist so Mm -hmm. that helps him there's people who love mind maps and hate concept maps Mm -hmm. and then there's others who look at mind maps and go "Eh, no mind maps don't come naturally to me so i'm a little nervous about misrepresenting them okay um well we'll we'll try to look into it a little bit more maybe we can put some links on yes uh, on on our show page and and, uh, you know, we can always do another episode on it. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once we do a little more research. But anyway, the idea, not, not to get too far afield, right. the idea that, that concept maps or mind maps are ways of, of doing what? Of taking that core information, your concept, mm-hmm. and then branching out from that. And if you, for those of you listening, I'm moving my hands in all sorts of ways that Mm -hmm. you can't see, Mm -hmm. but branching out from that core concept and figuring out, um, okay, here are the five important things you need to know about this concept. And for each of the nodes that branched out from that core concept, what are the five important things I need to know about that particular thing? Mm -hmm. And then how did those things connect with the other things? And so you may end up with a concept map that, maybe kind of boring looking where there's not lots of arrows going around different mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. If you are say in nursing, you're going to have arrows going all over the place because you want your right. students to know how things interact. Yeah. The interconnectedness. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Did that even make sense? I think it does make sense. Um, I think that um, is this best used as a technique when you're introducing new concepts Oh, or or is it best used for review? How how would you use it? All the time. Okay. So one way you can use it is to find out their prior knowledge. You have everybody do a concept map. Tell me everything you know about prior knowledge, mm-hmm. and they draw all their little things, and um, you have them turn it in, and you look at it, and you see how complex their thinking is about that topic of prior knowledge, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And then you give it back to them and, uh, or have them create a new one. And as you are going through the lesson, Mm -hmm. then you have them complete the concept map and how things relate. And you could have them share theirs with a partner, compare what 
what do you have that your partner doesn't have and, and vice versa. And um, then you can also use it as review. What is missing from your concept map? Mm-hmm. And what do you think will end up on an exam or um, a paper? You can use a concept map to help organize your thinking for a research project right, or a right, paper right. or... That, that's how I uh, I've yes. worked with students and, and we talk about concept mapping in the, in the basic speech course because I, you know, yes. how, do you, how, do you, how do you come up with a focused enough topic? Yes. That you can make a good yes. argument about or yes. something like that. And, 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 and it also helps you understand what are the qualifiers and what are the, right. the potential rebuttals against an argument right. that you're going to make. So yeah. I mean, my dissertation had the, you know, my topic was in the middle and my five chapters branched out from there. And, you know, you mm-hmm. can write a dissertation with a concept map. Well, wow. Okay. Yes. It makes for easy reading for the committee, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They wanted me to elaborate a bit more. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand why. Oh, oh gosh. Um, and then I know, I have not done this, but I know that there are some professors on this campus who actually use concept maps as an exam mm-hmm. instead of having a multiple choice exam or something. They Because they want to see that their students understand all the interconnectedness between mm-hmm. all the different aspects of that topic. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a rubric and that sort of thing to determine that. You can't run that through an OpScan machine. But, right. you know, we hear so often that we want our students to demonstrate deep critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And this is one way to do that. So, and there's so much more I could talk about with concept <laughs> maps. <laughs> I think actually that's probably a good place to stop for today. And we're gonna we'll we'll uh, put some more information about concept maps up on the yes. show page as well, and uh, we'll continue on in our next episode and talk about some of the other strategies yes. that are associated with with uh, organizing student experiences. So, Julianne, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. Find out more about our show by going to our website, ctlt.illinoisstate.edu. Click on the podcast link in the upper right of the page. For Dr. Julianne McFan and for all my colleagues here at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, until we talk again, happy teaching.